Well, if there's one book you read this year, make sure it's Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto Terrestrials. Ryan Musgrave Evans is the author, and just when we thought we had, a, had the alien presence covered, the emergence of evidence to suggest we are dealing with beings called crypto terrestrials just adds to the whole ET jigsaw puzzle. Musgrave Evans has a Bachelor of Arts with first class honours in philosophy, among a long list of achievements, and he's going to join us today to talk about crypto terrestrials. Hi, Ryan, how are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you going? Thanks for having me. Pretty good, I'm, and it's a pleasure to have you here too, because this is an absolutely fascinating subject and uh, one which I um, wanted to talk about for a while. But just off, off the bat, what, what are crypto terrestrials? Well, I didn't actually coin that term. Uh, uh, a ufologist and futurist called Mac Tony, who's an American who's unfortunately no longer with us. He passed away quite young. In 2009, I think he was only in his 30s, but he wrote a book called The Crypto Terrestrials, um, a meditation on indigenous humanoids and the aliens among us. And his idea was bringing it along from some of the ideas to talk about the continuity of the experience from the fairies and elves and other supernatural beings from ancient lore. Um, comparing them to the non-human pilots, euphonauts of the UFO craft that we see, the beings that allegedly are behind the recent phenomena, say post-1947, mm -hmm. which is normally considered to be the time that we sort of say the, the new UFO era began with the Roswell crash. But Mac Tony's, as did Belay before him, and as I am doing now with my book as well, continuing this line of thought, is that they are identical beings. These ancient beings that were talked about for hundreds of years throughout the world, not just in Celtic myth. I, I, I particularly focus on Gaelic mythology because there seems to be strong the most strong parallels are there. And Jacques Belay and Mac Tony's as well talked about that. But the crypto terrestrials was the word that Mactoni came up with to, which literally means hidden earthlings, really. Crypto, hidden, and terrestrials of the earth. Um, uh, to describe these beings, to give them a name, these hypothetical beings that are an identical group. Now, the, our vocabulary for them and our worldview has changed over the years. So we describe them in slightly different terms nowadays in modern language compared to the way our ancestors did so. But if you scratch the surface, they are the same beings. Well, that is what I'm arguing in my book. That's what Mac Tony's argued before me. And I've taken his term. As, um, so crypto terrestrials are fairies, elves of the past, not little women with wings and not Santa's little helpers, but the older meanings that people had for elves and fairies more like tolkien's idea of elves maybe you'd say mm -hmm. from yeah. middle earth yeah. large noble magical or technologically advanced um beings that are still here and were here and are responsible for all or most of what we would now call uh, ufo related phenomena and also supernatural phenomena in general uh, in, in my opinion, poltergeist activity is largely attributable to them, etc., and so on. So, so they, that's the crypto terrestrials. So they do have uh, human characteristics in their in their appearance. Yes, yes. Well, um, from ancient times, there's a there's a few different descriptions for different kinds of fairies and elves, but and some of them are talk about little people, of course, uh, small creatures dark creatures with claws or gnome-like creatures but there are references also to tall beings fair beings beings that can control your mind beings that uh interrupt your thoughts and processes beings that use what used to be called glamoury to bring you into false understandings about the way they may appear or about the way the world is so lure you into sort of enchantments and things like that Mm -hmm. These kinds of parallels, tall, fair beings, smaller beings as well, are represented now too in UFO law. Um, 
Now, the particular race that I'm focusing on are the ones that are in the vernacular of ufology nowadays normally referred to as tall whites right. or sometimes Nordics. Prior to the novels written by Charles Hall, the Millennial Hospitality series of books, these beings in ufology were normally called Nordics. Subsequent to his books, lots of people use these kinds, the tall white term for them. I argue in my book, I focus on that kind of race that, that uh, was called the gentry, Nahuishlan in old Gaelic law, that chirped and whistled, that lived underground, that would levitate and look like will-o'-wisps in the evening, that would particularly, uh, that would move through houses and uh, take things, replace things, play tricks on people, um, would put messages into your mind, like a telepathic kind of communication. Um, uh, Charles Hall talks about tall whites, subterranean dwelling, chirping, whistling beings that would float about in the evenings and look like will-o'-wisp, um, that would talk to him in his mind, that would move and steal his things. That's I'm just sort of cracking the surface there with yeah. the parallels between these two groups. Tall, emaciated, huge blue eyes, uh, white blonde hair that is thin, finer than ours and thin, um, four fingers, long fingers on each hand with a, a vestigial thumb, um, incredibly fast moving and jerky in movements, mm -hmm. but not overly physically strong unless they are wearing particular technologies. Uh, I'll just quickly show you the front cover yeah. of the book just because wow. you see there, yeah, that was done by Mark Randall, the American artist, and that is a sweet cover. I'm really happy about that. I, I can't praise that dude enough for what he did there. I showed him some of my sketches and he reproduced this and he goes, oh, what do you reckon about that? And I'm like, yes, don't change it. That's perfect. Um, this is an appearance of what I have come to call a Boas suit named after Antonio Villas Boas, mm -hmm. the Brazilian abductee yep. in 1957. That's an amazing encounter. Yeah, uh, very interesting. And the, the suits that were worn there these dark suits or a variation on them um, are experienced by people all over the world a lot. Um, not even, not just in what would normally be classified as ufological experiences, but cryptid experiences where they're called Mothman perhaps, or shadow people, this kind of thing. Chris Bledsoe's case from the Fayetteville incident is very typical for an interaction with what with these beings, the tall whites, or I, these days I call them Majina, um, because they, I'm an experiencer and they, they told me that's what they're called. That, I don't get into that until later in the book though, mm -hmm. but that does, that's, that's no secret. Um, but my book is mainly written as from an, as objective perspective as I can have as an experiencer and, and as a, an investigation into their presence. And then at the end of the book, I hit people with, and by the way, I know them since childhood. Um, but uh, Chris Bledsoe's typical case, poltergeist activity, shadow people in his house, uh, dark beings with glowing red eyes that can disappear. Um, they wear these suits that I've come to call Boas suits. I used to call them beetle suits. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, glowing red eyes can become invisible as the fairies could uh, be invisible near you. Um, can become intangible, which means they can pass through solid objects. They can levitate. Uh, they have what I call telepath tech in their helmets to hit you with intrusive thoughts yep. and uh, hypnotize you, or they call it mesmerization when they're speaking English, um, to bring on an appearance that they feel you'd be more comfortable with sometimes to look like a family member, sometimes even a deceased family member. Uh, which can often give rise to misunderstandings about them being ghosts uh, because they use that as a tactic as well. A deceased family member that you knew and love, they can bring on that appearance and tell you everything's going to be okay if you see them when they don't want you to. And they can remove and change your memories as well, which they call altering your memories. 
Right. But that appearance, you're more like if you're an experiencer of these guys, you're more likely to see them looking like that than seeing yeah. them looking like Charles Bowles describing okay. them. Well, I want you to talk about your own experiences with them shortly. But firstly, let's just go back to Antonio Vilas Boas. Um, yeah. I mean, that case, I mean, you talk about famous cases, that really, because it happened in Brazil and not the United States, it probably doesn't get the, the airplay that it deserves. Can, can you describe yeah. quickly for the audience exactly what happened there with, with, with these crypto-terrestrials? Um, yeah, in the case of Vilas Boas, in Brazil, it was 1957, and he um, was a farmer, and he'd been working at night to escape the heat of the day. Um, and he was working on a tractor, and he saw a star, a red star, approaching um, that quickly got bigger, landed nearby. Um, out of it came these dark-clad beings that uh, were barking and growling, which is something that uh, is often repeated in these cases, interactions with them. Charles Hall goes into a lot of detail with that. I've heard them using these kinds of uh, speech. This kind of speech as well, but they use different kinds as well. They have different camouflage languages. Um, but uh, he was taken on board, wrestled on board the craft. He was gassed. He, had, um, he was nicked on his chin when they took some kind of blood sample from him. He was mm -hmm. taken into a room where the the black suited beings left him and a young woman came in that was one of them huge blue eyes uh white fine hair not very tall though apparently she was only about four foot six but this is another element of them that charles hall goes into a lot and i've talked about i talk about in my book uh they live for a very long time and it takes them a long time to grow it takes them a hundred years to even get to six foot tall by the time they pass it away at about seven or eight hundred years they can be as tall as ten foot so a four foot six tall, tall white, which is not very tall for a tall white, uh, would be, probably be about 50 years old, 50 years old, an adult mature woman at, at, at the beginning of her life for their lifespan. But to us, middle-aged, you'd think a 50-year-old person would say. Um, so four foot six, sexually mature woman, the point I'm making as well is, uh, and they had, they coupled, had intercourse, um, and then um, he was given a tour of the craft and basically booted out. Um, so that's, a, that's an interesting case. And yeah, it's, it's one of the most important, I think, in ufology, but you are right that um, it hardly gets a mention, uh, maybe because of the sexual overtones as well. People right. get a bit uncomfortable about that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you say you're an experiencer and uh, you had have had a lot of experience with these uh, CTs. So can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so in my childhood, I had a lot of strange memories and strange experiences, but nothing really as dramatic as experiences that started happening after I, I'd moved away from the Mornington Peninsula and lived away for years in the Dandenongs in Victoria, uh, east of Melbourne had some interesting strange paranormal experiences there where I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a young girl with blonde hair standing over me crouched down I, I went to kick her which sounds like an embarrassing thing to do mm -hmm. but and she ran th out through the wall I had a couple of these wow. kinds of things and when I was a little kid I had experiences as well with um uh what I thought were harlequins glowing white skinny beings leaping into the sky and then slowly floating down remember being taken a few times and things like that, but nothing compared to when I moved back to the Mornington Peninsula at about 30 years old, I'm 42 now, it's about 30, I started having weird poltergeist activity having, happening in the house, things going missing, being replaced, thinking, oh, well, I don't have the best memory in the world anyway there, so maybe I'm moving stuff around, who knows, it's just me and my wife was saying, oh, you know, you're just uh, going senile or something, don't worry about it, um, but uh after a couple of years of being back down here, I had an experience then where I was standing outside in the middle of the night, wide awake, and don't know how I got there. Walked up to go inside the house, unlocked the door with the keys, put the keys on the peg, started walking, and then we had baby gates blocking off, because um, we have two all the time, blocking off the hall and the kitchen. Mm -hmm. 
started levitating and was placed back into bed and then woke up properly and was like, what just happened then? And I said in my mind, I think something just took me. That was weird, right? Very, very weird. A couple of nights later, but then I said to them, but I want to experience more. A couple of nights later, it happened again. I was standing out on our porch and I knelt down and I started lining up glasses and making piles of a few coins on the table. And I made it sort of piled them up in a sort of like an OCD kind of way, just sort of moving stuff around. Felt weird in my head, stood up, went to go back inside thinking, I'm not quite sure how I got here, levitated again. And I'm not sure if I went up around the corner of the uh, veranda, like the roof of the veranda or actually through it. And then all of a sudden, boom, I was in a bed and I had one leg pushed over to the side and there was a thin white chalk white woman with huge blue eyes sitting there on the bed, looking straight at me. And I felt feelings of comfort and reassurance. And, I, and I, she was definitely a female. A male, taller, uh, stood over the top of me, opened my mouth, long, thin fingers started feeling around and was like a dentist checking out my teeth. Mm -hmm. He wandered around to the back of the bed. And then I felt excruciating pain with something being pushed into the base of my skull. Intense pain. Uh, that lasted like, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds or so. Right. Uh, he finished, he stopped doing that. Um, then oh, there was a like a, a slight sound, like a sort of sound. And I think it was like a scan with a little bit of a blue light. And then all of a sudden, boom, they were gone. Through that whole experience as well, oddly, and I've never really worked out what it was. And I'm thinking maybe it was the sound of my own breathing. I could hear something that sounded like a shovel being scraped over and over again across concrete surface. And I have no idea what that was, but that all stopped. And I felt there was still a presence in the house. I got up, I went to the bathroom. Um, when I came back, I lay down in bed and I sort of started imagining that I was outside again and there was a sort of like a red sky and I screamed into the sky. And in the past, I've done a lot of lucid dreaming and I used to do that kind of stuff anyway. It's just sort of a way, I don't know, it's an interesting kind of shamanic thing to do maybe mm -hmm. where you just, you're trying to see whether the dreamscape is connected to anyone else's or something like that. My brother was very much into lucid dreaming and used to teach me about those kinds of things. But anyway, the point is while I was screaming, all of a sudden I woke up and a powerful voice said into the middle of my head, you are okay. And I said, oh yeah, uh, I'm okay. Don't worry about the screaming thing. That's just a weird little eccentricity of my own in my dreams. Sometimes I do. And then they all of a sudden images started flicking across my view where uh, really photorealistic images of um, like beautiful places, wilderness, uh, forests, trees, one after the other. Um, and I can't, I couldn't really do drawings or anything like that of any of them except the last one. Uh, the last one was the image of a tree with some kind of building in the background. Uh, right. And then that was gone. And that experience, um, and then they seemed to be completely gone that night. That experience was the first of a lot of experiences that I've had ever since. Um, with sometimes a lot of mesmerization and a weird feeling in your head, like you don't have control over your own actions, to complete control where they trust me more and they're actually there talking with me at night and then levitate me back to bed. Um, have you had so, any re recent experiences? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, um, what's the, the most recent one? Um, I had um, well, an interesting one that I had recently um, was actually being offered food. Um, as well, which is particularly interesting. People say don't accept fairy food. That's an old saying, you know. Uh, if you accept fairy food, you can't get away from their world and all that kind of stuff. I don't really mind, you know. Uh, they, um, where I woke up one night and they were in the room um, and there was one in these boa suits, uh, but he had his goggles up because the, the red goggles, he had yep. up and the thing, the mask that he had was off but he had the helmet and everything on and the suit on. Then there was another guy there that had like a weird little hat uh, as well. Um, and 
they offered me like a cake biscuit type thing and I ate it, lay back down again. One of them, this is getting a little bit strange now, one of them sneezed as well and, and I felt it on me. And I was like, I don't think that's proper protocol. But anyway, wow. I, I ate this biscuit, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ate this biscuit and then started to go back to sleep and woke up again and it was still all on the front of my teeth. Now, I didn't take any of it and you think surely you took some of it or wiped yourself where they sneezed on you and kept it so it could be studied but that it's like it didn't occur to me I licked the front of my teeth automatically and then the next right. morning it I didn't and also I sort of always have this feeling as well that I think it's disrespectful is it and I don't know if that's something that they suggest to me or it's within me it's disrespectful to be so clinical and um so interested in 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 analyzing any material that comes from them things like that um, yeah yeah i think yeah sorry but so do they actually mean us harm or, or or are they our friends uh they're our friends um but they can harm us and they they have killed a lot of us in the past and we have also killed a lot of them um i'm or one one phenomena that are made famous by David Politis. Some of the stuff he talks about, particularly with hunters disappearing, is attributable to them. Mm -hmm. um, in general, they have a, a, a symbiotic relationship with us, not parasitic. They have come here, they require, they're actually like a kind of future human, uh, kind of. It depends on what you mean by future humans, because um, uh, that, it gets a little bit complicated, but they are from the future. They have located a parallel universe that is identical to the way theirs was at a certain point in their history, but it is not their own past. It is actually another. So in a sense, they're um, trans-dimensional. Depends on what you mean by uh, time travel. But anyway, the point is that they um, share our genome largely, uh, but they have been performing... Um, uh, alterations on their genomes to uh, increase their lifespan and to change things here and there for so long. Um, and they've been away from the earth so long because they ended up in Orion, sort of going off track here, but they ended up um, for tens of thousands of years living on an earth-like planet orbiting uh, Al-Nalam, the middle star in Orion's belt, which is why I've called the book Children of Orion. Right, right. But they, are, they do originally come from here or a version of here. And because they share a genetic... Uh, information and because their own genomes they cannot fix and are impoverished they interbreed with us sometimes to bolster their own and that is the main reason why they are here and they are permanently here and they have been here for thousands of years so so they're sort of from our future but they've been influence, influencing us from way back in our past and they're still here so it's, it's sort of complicated but um uh they we are to them uh indispensable as we are because we ha we are largely unaltered we are hewn by time and natural selection natural evolution but they are not quite as pure in that way anymore so they require access to our dna and they have not they have not found any permanent means to cure themselves of their maladies and pathologies so they're trying to do that so instead they need constantly to re-access our dna to every new generation needs some of our dna in it as well to to maintain them so that is so you might say well that sounds parasitic but it's the relationship is symbiotic mm -hmm. in that they are benefiting us as well in that uh, while they are here, they will never let anything truly detrimental happen to the earth. Uh, they have, their advanced technologies will not allow it. Um, they would prefer the earth to return back to some kind of homeostasis in its biosphere. They're upset in regards to the way we've been doing things. Um, and that is a big message of theirs. And it's a recurring thing all through ufology these days. Yeah. Lots of people, particularly in the new age community and things like that, are into pushing that kind of line where the ETs want us to give up our nuclear technology and 
want us to stop harming the environment, et cetera, and so on. That is actually true. Um, but, uh, and they, they also have a kind of future looking technology where they can see potential realities. So they can steer the course of events. It's like piloting a, a TV mm -hmm. show or piloting a research project. They can pilot reality by viewing potentialities and thinking a few steps ahead to benefit themselves, but also us mm -hmm. because we're indispensable to their well-being and the planet itself, which is their ancient home. They've come back to a version of their ancient right. primordial right. place of evolution. So anyway, hopefully well, that sort of opened it. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's good. Uh, Ryan, in the book, you demonstrate that uh, that phenomena described as uh, at Skimwalker Ranch and in the Mothman prophecies are, are attributable to crypto terrestrials. Can you explain a little about that? Um, well, yeah, over, over the book, I, I build what I call the crypto terrestrial profile or the CT profile, CT short for crypto terrestrial, um, and, and talk about the kind of play and the kind of technologies and the kinds of phenomena that seem to manifest either directly from the CT presence or as some kind of residue sometimes of their interaction with us. Skinwalker Ranch, cases like Skinwalker Ranch are quite typical for their interaction. Um, now you might think, oh, that's a little bit strange. Why are they cryptids? Why are they giant wolf-like creatures that Callaher and Knapp talked about in their book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, and also in Jeremy, Jeremy Corbell's uh, documentary? Um, why are there giant wolves, giant dogs, or also Sasquatches sometimes reported and things like that? And, and, and that's a bit of a confusing issue that I have a theory about that is hypothetical, and this is not something at all that I know. But just for a moment, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly um, preface this by saying the RV craft, or maybe you could call them Tic Tacs, mm -hmm. that are talked about in the Skinwalker Ranch case, that are piloted by giants, by very tall men, that were seen by the Gormans, the, the ranch family, that's a pseudonym, I can't remember what their real name was, but the, the ranching family that were, that were there at Skinwalker Ranch that were um, assailed by all of this, this huge amounts of paranormal activity and high strangeness. Um, they actually, the wife actually saw the beings, tall beings in dark clothes, they left footprints, huge footprints. Um, piloting RV type craft. RV type craft are a typical craft form used by the tall whites and in and Charles Hall's millennial hospitality books he talks about them a lot describes them in pretty much the same terms that the Gormans describe them in um, now poltergeist activity it was activity that Charles Hall spoke about in his tall white books as well uh, plenty of that at Skinwalker Ranch um, the predator-like being that's talked about as well in a particular famous event at Skinwalker Ranch that's written about in um, Callaher's book where a guy came onto the ranch and was trying to contact mm -hmm. the spirits or the beings that were there. A stranger came to the ranch, stood there with his arms outstretched and was basically attacked by a large, fast-moving being that had a, a strange nebulous look to it that people have compared to like the alien from the Predator franchise when right. it goes, when it cloaks, ran straight up to him, screamed at him, yelled at him, roared at him, and then left. Um, these kinds of phenomena, the telepathic stuff, the warnings, um, no digging, specifying not to dig um, is, is another element of the crypto terrestrials because they are literally under the ground and also in the Skinwalker Ranch case, some of the craft were seen flying, large dark craft too, that Charles Hall talks about in his uh, Millennial Hospitality books, straight into the Mesa. Um, the, the crypto terrestrial points are all being hit a lot here on the profile list, but the cryptid element, I'll go back to that, the cryptid element, that's an odd and shocking and different one. Uh, and I have a, these beings, you know, one of them was shot. The ranch, rancher shot a giant wolf that was attacking uh, the cattle and parts of it blew out the back 
and there was no pain response from this creature and it trotted off and they tried to track it and the tracks just disappeared and led to nowhere and when they looked at the flesh they decided it even looked like maybe it was decayed this is interesting you know did it yeah. start decaying very rapidly as soon as it left the body of the creature or or was the creature itself in a decayed state uh now i have a theory that sasquatch and some of these other sort of monstrous hitherto thought to be extinct beings like giant wolves giant canids dinosaur-like creatures that we would have thought didn't exist anymore giant hominids that we would normally have thought in the past were something of our past perhaps uh, earlier stages of our evolution or whatever but these are something that now this is just a theory some things i i claim to know because i've, I've seen these beings and that kind of stuff this thing here i'm going out on a limb here with this one this is just hypothetical but in my opinion they are a product of the cts that is used to uh further intimidate us right. when required that can be then pulled and, 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 their kind of, and throw us off track a little bit as well and also pro yeah probably yeah well that that could be an element as well yes for sure um now there's a just i'll quickly say as well there's another say case there's a sister case to skinwalker ranch that uh tim good wrote about in one of his books the uh ufologist timothy good uh, um where it's an almost has identical list of phenomena to that that people would attribute to skinwalker ranch but in that so it has um orbs um disembodied voices telepathic communication um uh cryptids in that case the rancher actually wandered off and felt that he should go to a particular place and met two things and lo and behold they had huge eyes and fair hair and were slim and told him they wouldn't take his memory away and told him that this agreement this arrangement wasn't really working out and um had, a, had basically had a bit of a discussion with him and allowed him to remember it. And they said that to him as well. We are going to allow you to remember this. Mm -hmm. um, and they were only five foot six, again, not very tall for tall whites, but five foot six tall white would still be probably like 70 or 80 years old. Uh, remembering that they don't get to six foot until they're about a hundred. And then they grow in windows of growth over periods of hundreds and hundreds of years, end up nine, 10 foot tall. Um, now, Colin, Colin Callagher and um, George Knapp make reference to that case, the Colorado Ranch case of mm -hmm. Timothy Good, but they don't make a huge amount of it. And to me, it's incredibly important because here, basically, you're being shown another link to a beings of this appearance, um, which further ties it back. It's just another little piece that ties it all together again, you know. But in that case as well, there was a Bigfoot. The Sasquatch, or the large hominid, while the two CTs were talking to the rancher, the hominid wandered over and touched a box that they on the ground that they told the rancher not to touch. Mm -hmm. And it fell down and seemed to be dead. And the CTs said, you see, the box is lethal. We told you not to touch it. Like it was a demonstration. Right. You can say that seems quite cruel. They just killed some life form. But remember, if these life forms aren't truly alive and are some kind of manifested product, yeah, then that's not perhaps as cruel as as, as it seems. But yeah, well, there's there's other areas too. Say, I'm talking the United States. I mean, the Stardust Ranch in Arizona, um, same qualities uh, that Skinwalker uh, exhibits, and then. I interviewed Trey Hudson, who's been studying an area in the deep south, and uh, he won't he won't disclose the actual location, but he's uh, been yeah. he's been researching it for some time. And there was one incident where this woman showed up close to midnight, and uh, she kind of exhibits the traits and the appearance that you had just been talking about. But uh, wow. she was dressed in a bit, she was dressed in a business suit, and it totally freaked them out. But um, right. Uh, this is the um, Meadow Project book you're talking about. The Meadow about. Project, yeah. I haven't yeah. actually read that yet. Yeah. I, I've really got, I've, after you've said that as well, I really have to get a copy of that. I've been yeah. meaning to. Okay, so that'll be and, really interesting. And, and, and the strange part of that, the, the day before I was due to interview Trey, I, I went to my local coffee shop and the usual um, 
server wasn't there and uh, there was a young man there I'd never never seen before and anyway he was pretty chatty we started talking and uh, um, eventually we got on the subject of UFOs and aliens which he was interested in and uh, I told him what I did and and then he talked about where he grew up in a southern state I won't mention the name um, I don't want to give away Trey's location oh, yeah. Um, no worries, yeah. But he, he talked about an area that he grew up next to that his dad always talked to him about, about the freaky and strange things that used to go on there and which his dad went through as well. Um, and I said, well, yeah, so right. I'm, I'm talking to a guy tomorrow who's been researching an area just like that, exactly where, you know, basically where you come from. And anyway, I've never seen this guy again. Um, talked to a Trey about it and uh, I just thought, well, that's, that's some coincidence, but... Yeah, that's cool. The one thing I wanted to ask about these CTs, as in the Stardust Ranch, um, John Edmonds talked about uh, the ability or, or the incidents that he had with doppelgangers. Is, is that a trait that they do exhibit? Uh, yes. Yeah, I th well, that's that's a trait of the fairies. Um, in, in Gaelic, they in Gaelic, the old legends from uh, the old fairy faith of Ireland and Scotland, they called they called them Kohoshihin, which means a co-walker. Mm -hmm. And they are a version of um of a of a person that you know. This is what I was getting at before as well. They can they can project into your mind another appearance. And if it's someone that you know and like, often they'll use that. Uh, and I suppose that people call those screen memories and things like that as well. But the idea of there being someone wandering around or seen by your friends or family or neighbours that they swear black and blue was you, but it couldn't have been you because you were elsewhere. Right. This is something that that they do do, yeah, that the crypto terrestrials do, and that they did it in the past when they were called fairies and they still do it. Yeah. Um, I've had experiences where um, I thought I was talking to my wife. So at one stage there, how long ago did this happen? Uh, I can get a bit confused um uh we're at Putnam, uh, maybe it's like about eight eight years ago or something like that seven years ago anyway um at a different house that we live in now i uh, i'd had a few experiences where i'd had what were tabletop procedures or something like that where like i was describing to you before lots of other ones like that drilling into my like a bone in my like one of my ribs maybe into the sole of my fit into the top of my head and all this kind of stuff. I said to them, projected the thought because they're well capable of picking up on your thoughts with their technology. How about you come and hang out with me? How about you have a beer with me or a cup of tea or something like that? I invite you to my house in that kind of situation. A few days went by and I was standing in my kitchen at night and my wife was standing on the opposite side of the kitchen table leaning against the sink or the the the, the kitchen bench or counter and um and she was talking to me about things and i can't even remember what we were talking about uh but i remember that we were having a good time and we were getting along and it was all great and then all of a sudden i started to feel a bit strange and my mind started to cloud over again uh like it's want to do in these kinds of situations when the situation's finished in particular and I dropped down onto my, my knees and started crawling out of the kitchen and came to a, a basket of washing of laundry and right. started rolling up the socks and putting them in a line. Then I lifted off the ground, levitating, went back into the bed, went over the top of my wife that was still asleep beside me and got put down on the bed and was instantly awake and hadn't even gotten to lie down yet. And I was up on my elbow and I was like, felt adrenaline just pump through me. Mm -hmm. And a voice said to me in the middle of my head, we just had a date. Wow. And I, heaps of fear just punched through me all of a sudden because I was thinking, oh, because I hadn't had that many experiences really. And this was much more personal and personable than the other detached kind of experiences. And another thought came into my head that said, I roll my eyes at you, which was like a rebuke for being afraid, I think, or something. I heard the front door open and close and footsteps going up the drive and then there was nothing. Right. In the morning, I was like, that wasn't my wife. So that's like a doppelganger, I suppose you'd call like a call Hoshiki. But when I thought about it, really thought about it, it was like I could break through the screen memory. 
there was a woman that was about six foot tall or so, huge blue eyes, white hair, and a really tight black suit with um, like some kind of technology on her chest, this round thing on her chest that had been there talking to me. So that, that was a pretty freaky encounter as well. Yeah. And that's like yeah. a, and yeah, that, that, I suppose that's a doppelganger, you know. Um, Ryan, you talk about, let me, I hope I pronounced this correctly, uh, war campaigns that they've run against us. What, what, what do you mean by this? Um, if, if they don't want us near, because they have underground habitations, or in Gaelic you'd call it a brug, maybe, which is like a fairy dwelling underground or in hills, mountains. Um, they move around. They like the warmth and they travel around and some habitations will be empty or near empty, maybe with a bit of a skeleton crew all year round, but some of them are completely empty all year round. They'll move around um, their population around our earth, depending on where it's hot. Um, now, some of their habitations are close to places they prefer we weren't, you know, like they're, they're, some of their habitations, especially if they're national parks, wilderness areas, but um, sometimes habitations out in the country. Um, if there's a ranch or a farm in particular, with cattle being kept by us, where we have dogs, guns and things like this, they are not happy about it. Um, they will scare, intimidate, and try to force people out as much as they can um, wow. without hurting them as much as they can, but sometimes hurting them as well, especially if they feel threatened. Um, so, and also they're, they're, even though they generally have a, a, a feeling of kinship to life or life and things like that, they are not beyond killing animals if they think it makes a point, particularly if it's cattle that are being bred for us to eat. And they're vegans, by the way. They haven't eaten meat for tens of thousands of years. And they're completely against hunting and all this kind of stuff. Um, and they detest, they think very little of us because we have animal agriculture and things like this. Right. Right. Um, they, they will kill cattle because they don't think that the industry should exist in the first place. They do it in a way that they think as well is more humane than we would do it. If they can, they know that these beings are going to, these beasts are, are going to die anyway. Um, they can use them as a tool to intimidate the people out. Uh, they will kill dogs, usually by slashing their throats with their prosthetic claws. They wear these long claws uh, on their suits. Um, uh, Charles Hall talks about that. I've seen them with that, um, with the claws on their fingers that aren't their real claws like they have fingernails more like ours um for these claws uh and they'll do whatever they can to force a family out to be replaced maybe with sometimes with a family that might be more um agreeable to them what they judge to be a kind of person that maybe is less inclined to have thoughts about going into the woods to hunt or mm -hmm. trap or things like that sometimes they'll settle for a family who perhaps are less inclined to do that kind of thing. They make character judgments about the people that move into a new place as to whether they have to be moved along. And what they would like, their end game in that kind of situation, is to really, in the end, best outcome would be to drive as many families away from that place as much as for as long a period of time until it becomes unoccupiable because no one wants to buy it. Because the word goes out in the Homo sapiens community that this place is right. scary. Yep. But sometimes that attracts paranormal investigators which is not something that they want necessarily yeah so sometimes they then invert their normal procedure because if you try to scare paranormal investigators in the way they'd normally try to scare occupants of properties you'll just encourage them that's what they're there for they want mm -hmm. to be exactly of course investigating these phenomena um but uh, anyway yeah that's that's uh i think did i answer your question Hopefully yeah I did. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, well i was going to ask you you, you you mentioned you mentioned a couple of names but other ufologists and researchers are, are they supporting the kind of research that you're doing um to tell you the truth i have very little to no contact with anyone in ufology or paranormal research 
partly, I think it's because um, it's probably my approach in a lot of ways. I can come across as being a little bit arrogant and things like that. And I think I scare a lot of people off. I have tried to interact with a lot of researchers about this when it comes to fairy research, ET uh, research, et cetera, and so on. But basically, no one really wants to have anything to do with me. <laughs> right, right. But uh, so I'm a one I'm a one man show, um, and I don't know if it's that I am making these claims of being an experiencer as well. That means that investigators are not quite sure how to handle me because they I seem to talk to them as though I'm a researcher, which I am as well, or have come to be because of the experiences. Um, been drawn to looking into it, but. Um, but then when they hear that I'm coming to be experiencer, I think maybe they get a little bit weirded out. So the answer, the short answer to that is no. Right. I have no one else much that I talk to about this because probably a couple of dozen times I've gone out of my way to contact well-known researchers across paranormal research and ufology. And they might express a little bit of interest at first and then none. Mm -hmm. So that's just the way it is. It doesn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. Do you know if the, the CTs are working with, with other races? Uh, yes, there is one other. So I'll just close the blinds. Excuse me. The light's shining. In. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, fine. There is one other that I definitely know that they uh, have as an allied race, which is another kind of future human that they call the Sebetina or Sepetina or something like that. Right. They call themselves Madjina, which I am quite convinced is Wanjina, another version of the word that was used uh, in uh, the Kimberley yeah. for, those, for those beings, uh, Indigenous Australian beings in uh, Northwestern Australia the, the, in the rock art. Um, Madjina and the other being Sebetina or something like that they call are they, them. Are they off-world? No, well, they're here as well, uh, I think, but there aren't as many of them. Uh, and they are from another timeline as well. They're from the, another dimension as well. Um, they're another version of us that evolved along different lines. They are the beings of the um, Baguinha incident in Brazil. Wow, well, there's the, another famous the, case in Brazil. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, that uh, picture though, so, so small, dark brown, oily beings with big dark claws black eyes during the day that become red at night mm -hmm. three brow ridges um and they kind of generally look like facial features look like what people would normally think of as being like a gray alien or something yeah. like that right um but they're actually brown and they there's the the mudgina call them little brothers closely out they're a closely allied race both of them have come back from the same reason and they uh, are closely allied and they're both trying to uh, bolster their own genetic structure with our DNA in the same kind of way. And they see the answer to their problems in the end as being some kind of combination between the three of us genetically. Right. Us, the Mudjina and the Sebetina are uh, coming together. But um, yeah, and otherwise... In my opinion, this is another reason probably why people take umbrage with some of the things I say. I don't, there aren't any others. There, there's only two. You know how, like, there's this massive tapestry of characters online, particularly on online folklore, I call it, uh, where people have this rich tapestry of all different kinds of beings from all different kinds of places, and it's sort of like a, a pool of folklore that people dip into um, to... I don't, I don't personally believe a lot of it. Um, in my opinion, what people normally call mantis beings, a tall elderly Majina, uh, because they get to huge heights and as they get older, their shoulders hunch really long hands. They dress in all white in their medical outfits with stuff over their eyes and hair and wear black eye lenses when they're working medically. So I've seen them with eye lenses in and out, taking them in and out. They're like their smart lenses or something. I don't know what they're for. Um, and you see them and they look like a mantis being. Reptilians. Reptilians don't exist. These are misinterpretations of, of the, the sepetina because they're scaly with claws. But also I think a lot of the 
things that are being seen and thought of reptilians are uh, right. boa suits. Yep. So what do you get? Is it? I don't necessarily claim that. Not necessarily calling people liars. Although probably some people, there are liars, of course, out there in in, in ufology as well. But um, there's a lot of people are having genuine, real experiences with CTs, but are placing them in the wrong baskets, are categorizing them the wrong way because they look on the internet folklore and they go, "Oh, it was like that. Mm -hmm. It must have been a reptilian." Yep. And then they start wandering around telling everyone they've had experiences with reptilians, etc., and so on. But uh, it, there were four, as far as I know. There were, were four kinds, and two of them have dropped away. The, le the least agreeable of all of them was like the Sabetina, but more of a grey colour, which right. is where the idea of greys has come from. Uh, and they were less spiritually advanced, less concerned, less compassionate, less concerned about requiring uh, permissions from us um, when they're doing research and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Do you think that uh, there are factions within world governments that that know these CTs are here and, and perhaps even working with them at, at, at some level? Uh, yeah, I do. That's right. Um, I do believe the 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 ufology lore about um, there being a group called MJ12 or who or Majestic that had been called that anyway. I think they change names mm -hmm. uh, a lot and members and things like this, but. Um, and at least some, in my opinion, at least some elected officials around the world, like, say, American presidents and things, have known about it, but maybe not all of them, depending on what kind of people they are and whether they're considered to be trustable, trustworthy enough not to spit the information out to the people when they shouldn't and things like that. But, um, yeah, and, and, and the idea of there being Area 51... Um, and S4, more particularly with the Bob Lazar claim of there being uh, um, an area with, that falls within the larger area of Area 51 and Nellis yep. Air Force Base and that in Nevada. Um, the uh, S4, where there were sources allegedly kept and Bob Lazar uh, helped on back engineering one for a few days before he, he, he told everyone about it and spilled everything to George Knapp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that there are elements in the, in especially in the United States government, but worldwide, that are knowledgeable about this, have done a lot of research into these beings, have had treaties with them at different stages. I'm not quite sure um, about now whether this tre those treaties still exist, but treaties that specified things like them not revealing themselves to us mm -hmm. because then... They're told by our people, our who represent us, apparently, yep. uh, that not to because it'll create panic and to wait for their okay. So their hands have been tied in some ways, even though if you scratch, you can find them. You know, you can find these beans by profiling and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, uh, yeah. So, so I do, I do think that that, that it's known about. Um, okay. And yeah. Well, last couple of questions, Ryan. Um, CTs and crop circles, is there a link? Uh, well, yes, yeah, at least to some. Um, so, uh, for instance, the famous um, Crabwood crop circle um, uh, in, from England, and I think that was 2002 off the top of my head. Um, that's the famous image of a being that people often call a grey with something in its hand with it like a disc and it had binary a binary message in english um and in the background behind the bean so it's sort of like a portrait just the shoulders and the head um people watching this may well know the the image i'm talking about but um behind the bean are three dots and these three dots perfectly align with orion's belt the being is not really a grey. Sometimes tall whites or mudgeon are called greys, tall greys and things like that, but it's a mudgeon. And um, the appearance of the being is fairly typical of them uh, with the long neck, uh, big eyes. Uh, it's, it has a helmet on its head, even though it's difficult to see. And these helmets um, are the helmets that they wear that have this telepathic technology in them as well. But um, that that was made by the CTs right. and it was actually 
definitely made by them and has been stamped by them as a message to us showing us now some people have suggested that that being that's a that the message may be a warning against beings from orion but that's in my opinion misinterpretation um it's a it's a, a warning about uh bearers of false gifts and broken promises i think it goes but that people basically should keep hope that the conduit is closing this is a reference the conduit closing is a reference to timelines uh um ceasing to be uh navigatable um which is another big area uh which i won't go into now that uh you can travel across dimensions but once they become too far divorced from each other and too mm -hmm. dissimilar it can be very difficult to navigate back to your home world so that the cts that are left that are here now are left here they right. can't go back um but um so that particular crop circle, yes, but then there are other incidences uh, um, from uh, uh, that I think are linked to the CTs that I'm talking about, the tall whites as well, uh, where you just where there people will have experiences with um, poltergeist phenomena and invisible beings. Um, I think there was a policeman that saw tall whites in a field, wandering around in the crop circle. Yeah. Uh, I forgot off the top of my head. I can't. I can't remember the. All of, the, the name of the policeman and, and the incident and everything, but um, where he, after he saw them and they ran off at high speed, which is typical of them as well, they can hit huge speeds, particularly if they're wearing their suits where they can defy gravity. Um, and then they gallop and things as well. They can gallop much more easily than we can. They have longer arms compared to us. Um, they move around on all fours a lot, much more than well, we hardly ever do unless we're children, but they, even their adults, move around on all fours some of the time, 40% of the time maybe. Um, they that policeman was then haunted and had typical poltergeist phenomena um would go to his door and open it and would part kind of remember seeing or partly see an eight foot tall dark shape like a shadow wow. person mm -hmm. um not too long after that um in a car park nearby to where that happened another guy um saw a tall fair man and he couldn't recall there was something odd about his face but he couldn't recall and that's fairly typical of interaction with them as well you'll see them you'll know that there's something wrong with them but you'll never be able to remember exactly what that was you'll say oh their hands were weird someone will say what was weird with their hands oh, i don't know what was weird about it it was just weird or their right. face or whatever right. um so he saw someone that was in the car park near where that encounter had been with the policeman uh just a little bit after it saw a tall man the tall man started to walk towards him and then he doesn't remember anything and it was a while later it was like half an hour later or something and they uh the guy was gone in that kind of situation there's two possibilities there the ct may have had an interaction with that man in the car park uh parking lot and um then removed the memory mm -hmm. or um he may have just switched the guy off which is another ability they have they can switch people wow. off yeah. that they don't want to interact with so if they come to a room of people they can walk through the walls or whatever they'll walk into a lounge room there'll be one particular person they want to have an interaction with and everyone else in the room will just stare that's, at the walls that, that's an ability most of us wish we had to be able to switch <laughs> someone off <laughs> yeah that's right um yeah why, yeah do, do you think do you think these these cts have influenced our religious beliefs over the years yeah, I do. Uh, I really do um, think that uh, there's been big influences through all our different belief systems over the years, spiritual and religious belief systems. Um, I personally think that M Middle Eastern, old Mesopotamian and Egyptian mythology was heavily influenced by them, coming down to Islamic and Christian and Judaic beliefs, as well as other kinds of spiritual systems around the world pretty much in my opinion nothing could escape it thousands of years of them interacting with us and yeah. um, um interfering and intervening in our lives um in my opinion angels are most likely largely based on them if not entirely uh especially the way they appear current understandings about what angels look like at least and what demons look like the people talk about now nowadays angels being 
fair, blue-eyed, floating, um, luminous beings of the kind that Charles Hall talks about in his books. Um, demons as being dark, growling, mm-hmm. red-eyed, clawed uh, creatures that can disappear at will um, and put fear into your mind because they will they can override your mind with fear, with um, uh, uh, spaceless, visceral terror if they want to repel you. So it's a method of interact of repelling you without having to actually right. cause any physical harm to you. Or they can do the opposite sometimes. It depends on what kind of person you are. If they want to um, uh, sort of disarm you, they will project feelings of love and compassion and flood your brain and body with endorphins so that you feel like a million bucks right. and you don't feel like fighting them anymore. So they'll, they'll make a split-second judgment by looking into your mind what kind of person you are and would you respond would you flee if they made you fearful? If and if you wouldn't, and you'd be even more inclined to attack them, then they try the the loving atten- approach. Always, you know, th- these kinds of approaches and, uh, and protocols have been, as you can imagine, uh, slowly built and formed over millennia of interacting with us and finding out what right. works with us and what doesn't. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yes. Angels, demons, fairies, elves, um, the old Middle Eastern ideas of the jinn that I've looked into sound very much like European yep. ideas of elves and fairies and are probably them as well. Yep. Yep. Um, like I said, the Wanjina, skinwalkers. Um, any, in my opinion, most things you can think of in the paranormal world, ghosts, right. poltergeists. Um, so this sort of is like a theory of everything for the par- for paranormal world. But for me, it's not a theory. It's a claim. Because I, I, because I, I'm claiming to know this in because I've had contact with them, and what I've done by writing this book, going by what I know, I then have looked for them and then made a, a profile list to take people by the hand to demonstrate to them that you can find them if you look for them, um, and if you don't, if you don't haven't had experiences with them yet, then I at least have a go at proving beyond reasonable doubt or something like that, hopefully. That they that there's something to this, and that they are these um, correlations and relationships and um, direct um, connections between yep. fairies, aliens, poltergeist, and particularly this race that would be normally called tall whites. Yeah. Last question: do, do they have an end goal, and if they do, is it going to work out good for us? Uh, yeah, um, well, I think their end goal is something that I've come to be talking with them about and having interactions with them about uh, more recently over the past year. I thought that if I had some kind of purpose in this, it was maybe because I am a hyper-focused individual. I'm a sort of like a monotasker, not a multitasker. I can only think about one thing at a time, but I can think about it in depth. And over my life, I've had sort of obsessive, nerdy interests about particular things, arbitrary things to other people, and that they've gone, you might be good to do something like this. So as me as just being sort of like a tool to their end game, that was what I thought before. But in the past year or so, it's become more clear to me that they are trying to promote these ideas of nuclear disarmament, um, uh, removal of animal agriculture, these kinds of sort of hippie feel-good ideas that um, that's the bandwagon that they want me to be on and that I'm on anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I think anyway. But that they want me and other people, not just me, to be promoting and... and, and, um, uh, encouraging these kinds of ideas about embracing new technologies, expanding what could be called the tribal circle so that people yep. are less likely to consider themselves to be human and anything beyond it dehumanised, mm-hmm. ignoring differences between race, creed, culture, language in the sense, not ignoring them, but everyone's there's lots of different colourful people out there and different kinds of people from different places, different religious systems, but that it's all relevant and it's all valid 
and not to dehumanize, but to extend it even further outside Homo sapiens to include the animal world yep. beyond plant life, all in the end, all the cosmos basically is to uh, identify that with the self. Right. So that you, um, and for them to eventually emerge, share their advanced technologies with us and get us off fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly they're concerned with the, with our nuclear capabilities. Um, and they go around switching that stuff off and, uh, they, um, but they want us to, and I know it sounds cliche hackneyed, but they basically want us to fairly quickly make some massive intellectual, uh, emotional, spiritual advancements, steps mm -hmm. forward in a very short space of time so that we can all get on board this new, these new technologies, free technologies which they would oversee, which um, they would become part of our world. They'd be just like another kind of person, really. Right. In our right. world um, and not have to hide anymore. Um, and also oversee some of the use of the new technologies, though, so that people don't go trying to back engineer it. Yep. Well, the, um, book's, the book's called Children of Orion, Fighting the Crypto Terrestrials, written by uh, Ryan Musgrave Evans. Ryan, been a fascinating discussion, and it, it's just a an interesting topic and I'm sure as I said earlier so that, uh, a lot of people will gravitate towards your book and it's one it's one I, I recommend reading this year thanks so much Dean I, I really appreciate the invite this has been really good fun okay and hopefully we can catch so up much. in due course if you come up with uh, with more news and uh, uh, more research let us know because uh, I'd love to have you back again okay for sure mate thanks so much for this thank you cheers Ryan Musgrave Evans joining us today.